So open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3, if you would, using the same handout as last week. I've already gone over the handout, so I'm not really going to go over it again, but it's just to remind you that we have done the um, introduction. Uh, we've looked at this psalm pretty completely, but that has a tendency sometimes just to be an information dump. Well, it's, it's important information. You have to have context. You have to have all of those things so that you can um, interpret the text and then apply it accurately. And so um, we've done that. I'm going to remind you um, a little bit of the context, and then I just want us to walk through the psalm. On the bottom of the handout, I had the Holman uh, outline I believe I mentioned last week that when you go to the commentaries, I've looked at, I don't know, a lot. And um, it's, it's amazing that many of them um, seem to be constrained as to how to divide this psalm down, apart. And you wouldn't think that would be very difficult, seeing as how it's only eight verses. But you'll find over and over again that it's either divided into two, um, three, or four. And so... Um, I'm going to land in the middle, and as we walk through this, I'm going to divide it into three. It's not there on your handout. If, if you would like the points, if you're taking notes, I want to look at, one, David's circumstances described, which we see in the first two verses. And then I want you to see David's confidence declared and displayed. Uh, there's a difference between what we say we believe, and then whether we act on what we say we believe. And, and we see in verses 3 through 6 what David believed is theology, and then that he, he believed what he said that he believed by how he acted. And those would be verses 3 through 6. And we're going to conclude, um, assuming we get through it in time, the fact that um, David cries for deliverance, Christ through the psalm, but he, he, he concludes with that, uh, with a bold statement that salvation is of God, and then a statement of blessing that we'll look at, and I, I hope to interject in there something that I think is fairly important that we touched on last week, and that would be the fact of the importance of David's sleep, our sleep. We mentioned that Psalm 4 and Psalm 3 are often read together, and in Psalm 4, that concludes with, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in, in safety. And of course, similarly, in the psalm we're about to read in Psalm 3, David said in 5, verse 5, I will, I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. So, we're going to read this psalm, and I'm going to start with the heading, the inspired text, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, we talked about that uh, some. I want to just give you what I didn't do last time, but actually have you turn, just look at a couple of verses. Turn to 2 Samuel 15. And under this first heading... David's circumstances described, David 
describes disloyalty. And David describes danger. And David describes uh, what many commentators believe, and I, I tend to think that they're, they're correct, doubt. And when we have crisis come into our life, uh, almost always there'll be some mixture of these. There's, there's danger. Um, there's doubt. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our friends. And sometimes we doubt our salvation, don't we? We, we, we can doubt the goodness of God if we're, if we're honest. Those doubts happen. And, and certainly um, discouragement comes along with that doubt. And so that's a very normal temptation for a believer because life is hard. And um, it's, it's a struggle. And so it's a classic psalm for what do we do in those situations because we're in that situation over and over again. And so we see here in 2 Samuel, just reminding you, David's the king, and um, as the king, you know he's sinned. And, and you know we, we have Psalm 51 and then Psalm 32. He um, was confronted with his sin. He responded in repentance. Um, he was forgiven of his sin. And yet even though completely forgiven of his sin, just like you and I have completely been forgiven of our sin, and we stand in the righteousness of Christ alone, and heaven is ours, and our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is the west. Those are wonderful truths, aren't they? But the consequences, the temporal, the earthly consequences of our sin often plague us even for a whole lifetime. And that's, that's just the reality of it. And certainly David is facing here in this psalm and faced after his sin those, perplexed, those, those that, that, that cursing of his sin that um, he was told very clearly he would. The, the conflict, the sword, uh, would never be removed from his house. And you remember the sword stories of his two sons, Ammon, Amnon and then Absalom and the, the whole situation with the defilement of one of David's daughters and then David not handling that right as a parent and the bitterness of Absalom which then led for, to him killing his brother and, and now here we have Absalom even further down the road and he's in the middle of a coup of his own father. He's, gonna, he's looking to overthrow his dad, the king. Talk about disloyalty. And the danger is real. The discouragement has to be. And we see even in these first two verses that, that David even has those, those doubts that, that we do. And so look at verse 13, 2 Samuel 15, 13. You see what he was facing. Then the messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David, the beloved psalmist of Israel, the king who'd won all the battles, the king that allowed by his leadership the people to live in, in peace, their hearts have been stolen, and his own son has turned on him. There is picture in type there in every direction you want to go, but we will face those kind of rejections, those kind of of hurts and, and heartaches. And it can be very close in our family. Maybe it's our friends at church. Certainly out in the secular world, in the business world, we face it continuously. That, the, 
It's just the things of, of life, a, a disloyalty. And David's facing disloyalty at the highest level here, his own son. Verse 14, David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring us down to calamity, and the calamity on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David actually knew he needed to flee for his own life, but he needed to flee for the people. Um, so that his son and the hearts and the armies that he had stolen would not only get him, but would not come in and hurt the people. So he flees. As he's fleeing, um, this is interesting story here because I, I just want to throw it out because it's just, I mean, this is life. When it seems like it can't get any worse, it still gets what? Worse. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it, and it comes from every direction, doesn't it? I mean, things that you can't even think about. Now, here's David. He's, he's the king. He's, one minute he's the king, and now he's running for his life. Uh, one minute it seems like everything's okay, and the next minute you're running for your life in principle. That's, that's just the way it is. And then to make it worse, look at chapter 16, verse 5. Then King David came to Berlam. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. You remember Saul? You remember how David would not even raise a hand against Saul, how David could have killed Saul twice easily and did not refuse, how David honored the man that wanted to kill him because he wouldn't touch the king's anointed. You know the, the love and the honor that David gave to Saul and then how David even honored one of Saul's offsprings, Meshivifest. I pronounced that wrong too, but I could try that four times. I still won't get that right. But and um, brought him right in. He was disabled and set him at his table and made him like a son, where kings in those days would have slaughtered him for fear of um, him having access to the throne. And so David has done nothing except be absolutely um, pure against Saul. And here's Shimei. Uh, a descendant of Saul, and look what it says. He came out cursing continually as he came. He's cursing at David. So David's trying to flee, and I say flee, and I'm going to use that word. And so here's another flee as just he's cursing at David. Uh, just what David needed right then. He just needed a, a, a nobody, as it were, just cursing at him. And when things go wrong, it seems like everybody's just cursing at you. And he, he's cursing at him. And he's cursed all the, the servants of David and all the people and all the mighty men that were at his right hand. Now, the guy's not too bright, if you think about it. David is still the king, and David still has mighty men around him. And here he is in nothing, and he's, he's cursing the king. And, and yet David, again, exercises amazing restraint and grace. Look at, look at what he does. Thus Simei said um, when he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. That's what he's saying to David. Uh, you know, he was simply saying to David what probably David's thinking in his mind. When everything goes wrong, 
you start thinking, this is my fault, this is my sin. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll eat some worms. Yeah, you know, that, that, that whole downward cycle is very easy to get on, isn't it? Uh, when things go wrong. And, and here David had help. Not, not only does he have his own flesh he's got to battle with, but he's got Simei reminding him he's just worthless. You know, something apart from grace, that does describe us very well. We're just worthless. But that's apart from grace. And David had received grace just like you and I have. Abishai, he's had enough. So he says to David there in verse 9, let's have some justice here and let's see if I can't remove this fellow's head from his shoulder, which will help quiet him down a bit. And seems like a pretty reasonable solution to the situation right at the moment. And I don't know, would any of us think that David wouldn't be perfectly justified in doing that? But he didn't. Uh, look what he says in verse 11. Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him. Those interesting words. I don't know exactly what David is thinking here, but David certainly understands two enormously important truths that we should understand. David understands God is sovereign. And in that sovereign ability, he works out in providence, his will, even people that curse you, even people that stab you in the back, even people that do you dirty. And he says, let him go. Let him go. Um, he says, perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of cursing this day. So David and the men went on the way, and Shemei went along the hillside in parallel. He doesn't leave. He keeps going along, and he keeps cursing. But look, hey, besides the cursing, now he picks up stones, and he starts throwing stones at them. And besides that, I guess as he's wake, making his way up the up the mountain, he probably runs out of stones, and so now he, he throws dirt, throws dirt, throws dust at him. I mean, this guy won't quit. And when, when you're having a bad day, it just won't quit, will it? I mean, the stones come, the cursing, the dirt, it just never stops. That's what David is facing. I just want you to see that so that you have a picture of that when you're reading the first two verses of this psalm. This is, this is the setting. That's why the heading is there where it says, a psalm of David when he fled Absalom. He is fleeing, and while he's fleeing, Absalom has stole the hearts of the people, and there's this flea bag who's, who's also making his, his life miserable. That's what's going on as we look at Psalm 3. So let's read Psalm 3. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. I want you to go back for a minute and just notice. He says, many. O Lord, how, are the how the adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. That's, that's it. It's many. It's, it's, it's emphasized again in the next verse. Many are saying of my soul. 
There's no deliverance for him and God. Verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with a voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me around bound. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. So we see that David's circumstances are described in those, those two verses, first two verses. And we've talked about the, the disloyalty, uh, about the danger, about the discouragement and the doubt. Um, I want you to see there at the end of verse 2, there is no deliverance for him in God. Uh, That's exactly what is likely being shouted to him and what he's thinking of. Because of my sin, there's no deliverance for me. May I just say right here today, maybe you're thinking that, Maybe you're thinking that from the standpoint of salvation, and maybe you're thinking that from the standpoint of sanctification. Maybe you're looking back over your life and saying, I'm just too sinful. God can't save me. God wouldn't save me. There's no deliverance for me. There's no deliverance for me. And yet we come to the New Testament in the testimony in the book of Acts is that Paul, I believe it's Paul, but it is ascribed in the book of Acts that David had a heart after God. He was a a man after God's own heart. David was saved. David was forgiven from his sin. I don't know if you're far from the Lord, if you have never been born again by the Spirit of God, if somehow you have felt like you can't be saved, there's no deliverance for you, I would just remind you that David, in chapter 11, was a liar. David, in chapter 11, was an adulterer. And David, in chapter 11, was a murderer. Nobody here that's sitting under my voice is sin is any worse than David. And God, who delivered David with a great salvation through Jesus Christ, wants to save you today as well. He, he has a deliverance for you. Uh, he, he wants you to see the magnitude of your sin, yes, but he wants you to see the full payment of Christ on Calvary. And he offers that salvation to you. But you know it's a true in sanctification. I've been saved a lot of years. And I, I look back and, and I, I see besetting sins at different times in my life. And the, the struggle is there. And I, I think to myself, 
Um, what am I doing here? Can God forgive me? Uh, maybe you struggle with that when you're getting ready to go to the Lord's Supper. I, I, have you ever thought, wow, this service is going to be the Lord's Supper. I don't, I don't want to be here. I, 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 I don't want to share in the Lord's Supper because I, I don't think things are right. I don't see how God could, could cleanse me completely, forgive me. God is in the business of restoring people fully. And while there's consequences for sin, it's that grace that despite sin that magnifies Christ, that magnifies him. And so every person here, even as you think about taking the Lord's Supper today, take it freely and rejoice. If you're in Christ, your sin has been paid. You may struggle with the consequences of your sin, but you have been justified. You have been made pure by the blood of the Lamb, and his righteous clothes are over you, and nothing can change that. Nothing separates you from, from the love of God. And, and David must have been thinking all of this in his context, and he, he, he righted his mind because we went immediately from David's circumstances that are described there to David's confidence declared in the following passages. And so look at that. David declares what he knows to be true about God. May I say this? Your theology is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God matters. And, and we see that David believed that God was a shield about him. In Genesis 15, God spoke to Abram and said to him, in the face of enemies, I'm reading from Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. David's theology believed that he had a shield about him and that God was his exceeding and great reward. And we talked about this last week. That's the same theology that Paul had in Romans 8 when he said, if God be for me, who can be against me? And so David's theology was there was a God that cares for his people. David said, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. And David said, I can't let my circumstances control my thinkings and be a person led by my feelings. In these first two verses, David's not feeling really good. We just got through reading about it. He's, he's leaving, he's weeping, he's heartbroken. He's been betrayed by his son, his beloved Absalom. When Absalom finally does die, he's going to go, Oh, Absalom, Absalom! His heart is broken that his son is dead. And yet this son, as he betrays him, he, he weeps as he leaves and he runs and he's got this other guy throwing rocks and curses and dirt on him. And as it's easy to be down in the dumps, David says, I will not be a man that will be led by my feelings. I'm going to be a man that's led by my theology, what I know about God to be true. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think that truth. So, what was David's theology? Well, he prayed, so we know that God knows 
that David's, David's theology was that God hears and answers prayer. We see that David slept, so we know that David's theology was that he could sleep even though 10,000s of people could be surrounded around him. It made no difference how big the enemy was because he knew how big his God was. Uh, it, it, he knew that it was not David himself and his cunning that sustained him. He, he knew it wasn't his mighty men that sustained him. Uh, he knew it wasn't Goliath's sword that sustained him. He knew it was the Lord that sustained him. And he says it right here in these verses. And so he made up his mind to act upon the truth. He made a volitional act rather than an emotional action. Rather than drama, he responds to truth. Look at, look at these verses. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, I lay down. Uh, th that's an act of his will. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to sleep. And rather than worry about this, I'm going to cast my care upon the Lord. I'm going to trust him. Look at the next verse. I will not be afraid. Uh, you see, not, not being afraid doesn't mean he didn't feel fear. It, it didn't mean that he didn't feel the emotions of fear. Courage is... Moving forward and acting in truth, regardless of how you feel, trusting the Lord. And he said, I'm, I'm going to sleep, and, and I know God will give me peace, because he's a shield about me, and it's the Lord that sustains me. Look, I, I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I, I'm not going to be afraid. David's laid down, and he slept. And he said, I will not be afraid. And so we see that in, in these verses. I don't know about you, but that little chorus is burned in my soul because it's one of those things that I need over and over again. I recently sent it to my, to my family in an a cappella arrangement. Lord, you're a shield about me. My glory. One who lifts my soul. Alleluia. Alleluia. Lord, you, you're the one that sustains me. You're the reason I can sleep and wake. You, you give me life and breath. And, and you, you, you lay upon your bed and you meditate on these truths. You, you remember God's past faithfulness and you rehearse God's promises and he gives his beloved sleep. So we see that David's circumstances were described, and we see that, that David had confidence that was declared. So he declares it in these passages, and then it's displayed by the fact that he, he lay down and, and he slept, and we know in these passages he prayed. And so look at these, these last two verses. They're, they're, they're interesting in their arrangement here, but verse 7 is often called a military verse, and that's why some people actually call this a military psalm rather than a morning psalm. Uh, because that idea of arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, is, is the idea of, of the Lord of hosts 
commanding his army to take up for his people. Sort of like the Lord of hosts um, taking up his army for Moses and the people of Israel as, as Pharaoh came down. And the next thing we know is the people of Israel have been delivered through the impossible and the great army of Pharaoh lays dead in the sea. That's the power of the, of the Lord of hosts. And this David, with these strong prayers, praying, Arise, O Lord, and save me. And he even describes sort of like a, a beast, if you would, the enemy. And he says, Smash him in the mouth and bust his teeth to pieces. Break his bones. Graphic words. This is what I want you to do to my enemies because, God, my enemies are your enemies because I love you. And so he, he prays these long, these, these strong prayers. And then he ends by a declaration and a blessing. So that last point, David cries for deliverance. It's going to seem sort of strange, but I want to just share with you that David would probably be able to do this because he got a good night's sleep. Um, it's amazing what a good night's sleep will do for you. Usually we don't get a good night's sleep. If we get a good night's sleep, it's amazing when you wake up in the morning how everything seems different. David went to sleep and he rested. Oh, he, look at, look at verse 4. I was crying to the Lord. I, I, he, he slept, he cried, he prayed before he went to the sleep. That, that's good. But when, when he woke, when he woke, he's now a victor. When he, when he woke, he's ready to do battle. When he, when he woke, he says, wake up the armies, Lord, let's go. Let's roll. Because salvation belongs to you. He's, he's a different man after a good night's sleep. You know, you'll be a different man and a different woman after a good night's sleep when you've slept in peace because the Lord is the one that's going to sustain you. You've, you've put your fears off. You've put your, you've put your fears away. I want you to think about these four things that we can see in this passage that deal with us having a good night's sleep. I don't have time. I'm looking here at, at my watch, but um, if we had anybody here that knew the body and had studied the body, say, for years and knew everything about the body, Brother Jim, they would be able to tell us that if you take world-class athletes, one of the things that, that, that they'll tell you is their magic pill is they get at least nine hours of sleep a day. Yeah, sleep. Do you know that if you get enough sleep, it actually helps your metabolism rate and it actually helps your diet and, and your overall everything? I mean, it's amazing if, if you read the medical digression that happens to the typical person who is sleep-deprived and the increase that happens when a person just has enough sleep. Who created the body? God. Who's the one that created night and day? God. And right now, 
we are limited and we are people who need sleep. We need rest. We see that all the way through the scripture. And we need to plan our days so that we get enough rest. Now, I've got good news for you, unless you like a nap like me. You know, I know the Lord will sanctify me between now and then, but we won't need to sleep in heaven. There's a lot of things about heaven. We could just talk about that for a whole class, couldn't we? About what we know from scripture and then the implication from that. But did you ever stop to think, besides all the normal things that you talk about in heaven, that in heaven you'll never be tired is there anybody here that can comprehend what it would be like never to be tired? I mean, I don't care what you do. But if, if you had 34 little kids, mama, around your skirts, and you were dealing with them for a millennial day, when you got through, you'd have as much energy as when you started. Can you comprehend that? Bob, you could build five houses all by yourself. You wouldn't need any contractors. You'd just do it all by yourself. And when you were done, you wouldn't have even broke out of sweat yet. I'm telling you what God says. There there won't be any more night. We won't need any more sleep, but here we need sleep. And you need a good rest. And God's people spend too much time worrying because we're the general manager of the universe rather than trust the fact that we've got a God who's a shield about us. Our glory. We're, we're, We're trying to gather glory to ourselves rather than just send it ahead and put it in heaven. Just... Trust it with him. So here, it's simple. What did David do through here? Number one, pray strong prayers. That's what he does. He prays and he prays strong prayers. Is that the first thing you do when you're in trouble? Is that the first thing you do when you can't sleep? Do you pray? Do you turn it over to the Lord? Do you cast all your care upon him? Do, do you, in fact... Rehearse in your mind and meditate day and night the promises of God as well as claim biblically those promises for you. God says that he will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ the Lord when I will obey him and be anxious for nothing. God says when I seek him first and his kingdom first, his righteousness first, when I... When I put that in first place, he'll take care of the other stuff. I can go ahead and sleep. Uh, he, matter of fact, he says in that next verse, six, Matthew 6, 34, he says, you don't even have to worry about tomorrow. I already got tomorrow handled. So therefore, you can lay down and sleep in peace. So pray and pray strong prayers. Secondly, remember God and his faithfulness to you in the past. We have such short memories. You have been sustained to this point. And just take 10 minutes this afternoon and think what God has sustained you through. And while you change and while you're frail, his mercies are new every morning. And he is the faithful one. He will never fail you one time. And just like he's not failed you in the past, he won't fail you today. He won't fail you tonight. You can go to sleep you can rest. Third, so first we've got to pray, and some of those prayers need to be strong prayers, not, not passive prayers. We need to pray. Peter prayed in the midst of the storm, Lord, save me. It's okay. Pray. Get real with prayer. And then remember God's past faithfulness to you. Third, that's what David was doing here. 
stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself and rehearsing his promises. You've heard that over and over again from the pulpits at Timberlake Baptist Church. Don't let yourself talk to yourself. You'll get the worst advice. Don't let yourself talk to yourself. You'll get the worst advice. You speak to yourself the words of the living God. You meditate and then you claim those promises of God. You recite those promises of God. You meditate those promises of God over and over, falling asleep doing it. And you'll be amazed at the sleep you get. And then number four, trust God for his blessings. Look here. Look at verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's no other way. There's no other way for you to be saved from your sin. There's no other way for you to have entrance into heaven. There's a wide gate and a broad road that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow gate and a narrow road that leads to life, and that, the door of that gate is Jesus Christ and him alone. There is no other way. You can't climb up over. I love, I love that song that, that says, Empty-handed I come. Uh, sometimes when I'm singing that song, I just break up out in prayer. Because sometimes in my, out in tears, I meant. Because sometimes in my, in my humanity, I keep trying to grab stuff to, to please God. Do you, ever, do you ever do that? You try to, am I praying enough? Am I reading enough? Was that message good enough? Am I a good enough dad? Am I a good enough mom? Am I a good enough husband? And, and isn't it a wonderful thing? I can come to God. I don't have to have anything in my hands. Because I have nothing I can offer him. I can lay it all down. Because he alone is my salvation. He alone is my life. He alone has set his love upon me and saved me. I don't have to come with anything in my hands. And it's a good thing because there's nothing I could put in my hands that would be worthy. Worthy is he to receive honor and glory and power. There's nothing I can add to that and neither can you. And that's what David is saying here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And because of that, we are a blessed people. Aren't we a blessed people? Look at how Psalm 1, Psalm 3 is the third psalm. Have you figured that out? 1, 2, 3? And, and look how, how Psalm 1 starts. How blessed is the man. These psalms begin by telling us how blessed we are as God's people. How blessed is the man. And then look at the end of Psalm 2. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And now here, David, David turning from himself and turning from his own problems, looks nationally, if you will, or to his people, and, and he says, your blessing be upon your people. David takes his eyes off himself and he lifts it, no doubt here in the promises that a king will come from his loins, of which the Messiah will one day come. And he thinks, who am I that God would bless me this way? And he says, God's blessing upon his people. We are blessed people, aren't we? Yet we all have circumstances like David that are discouraging because of disloyal people, because of sin, sometimes because of our own sin. What we think our theology is enormously important, but it's not just enough to know the truth. I've got to believe it and act on the truth. 
I've got to put it to practice. That's what faith is, is believing the promises of God and then acting, resting upon those promises. And then I cry. I cry out to the Lord and I lay down to sleep and get a good night's sleep. He'll sustain me. And I wake up the next day and I walk with God because great is his faithfulness. May the Lord add these truths to all of our hearts as we face whatever it is that we do in the days ahead for the glory of Christ. Father, I pray for your great deliverance of salvation to anybody here that's never trusted Christ. And for all of us that by your grace are in Christ, I I pray that we would grasp these truths and we would live them out for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.